Well, my earliest memory of the Battle of Jericho is from a flannel graph story. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was eight or ten years old, and there was a gray felt wall surrounding an ancient city, a rope hanging out of the window in the wall, and all that was needed to follow God's directions in defeating the Canaanites. Ark of the Covenant, you could name all of the things, the ram's horn, and then the major players, Joshua, the priests, the soldiers, a crowd of Israelites, and oddly enough, a woman named Rahab. In the flannel graph version, there was no explanation for how Rahab made her living. The word prostitute just went in one ear and out the other for us Sunday school kids. Some commentators, in trying to soften the story a little bit, suggest that Rahab was not a prostitute at all, but rather an innkeeper. But since God pairs her name with the word prostitute three out of four times that she's mentioned in scripture, I think there's little question about how she made her living. We kids sang Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, if you heard the prelude tonight. Um, But we also gave very little thought to the devastating effects of the walls falling. Father Kevin's sermon from last week could have helped our teachers a lot. The Israelites had been wandering for 40 years and are now ready to cross the Jordan River west toward Jericho. There was no clear way for everyone to make it across the swollen river into the promised land and no apparent way to defeat the enemies on the other side. So God told Joshua to send out two spies to get the lay of the land. Look and see how tall the wall is. How many soldiers do they have? Was the enemy brazen or cowering? Some suggest that the spies swam across the Jordan. I don't really know. But then, however they got across, they headed straight for Rahab's house, which biblical archaeologists tell us was built in between sort of two walls that went around the city. So in a strange city, how did the Hebrew spies first thing end up at Rahab's house? Now, a scarlet rope, as you heard, shows up later in the story, so that makes me wonder if a red rope hanging from Rahab's door or window may have been the ancient giveaway that helped the spies find the red light, or we might call it the red rope district. Now our being safely removed from the story by a couple thousand years, that thought might bring a smile to our faces or even a little laughter. But particularly now in 2021, we have become aware that prostitution isn't really a laughing matter, is it? It isn't even just awkward or embarrassing, but it's rather ugly and disturbing and evil. Statistics tell us that currently in the U.S. at least 75% of prostitutes have been abused as children and therefore carry ill effects that permanently mark their lives. And distressing as it is, it's taken us all the way into this century to acknowledge that Rahab had undoubtedly endured 
a life of exploitation that likely left depression, PTSD, self-hatred, and worse as its calling cards. Only in more recent commentaries has Rahab's desperate plight been examined. Previously, attention was focused on the wall and its destruction. But tonight, tonight we're going to look squarely at the life of this marginalized woman. We recoil at the thought of mistreatment and abuse, but in reading this story alongside the Gospels, it becomes quite clear that suffering like Rahab's brings deep pain to God's heart. We know this because of the way Jesus, who gives us the clearest picture of what God is like, seemed particularly moved by the plight of women like Rahab when he was gathering his disciples together. Jesus freed one woman after another out of similar lifestyles and invited them to follow him. Women of the street, demon-possessed women, women caught in a cycle of immorality, all among Jesus' closest friends and followers. These were women who were culturally tolerated, but at the same time despised, devalued, humiliated, lied about, and used. So why did these spies choose to connect with somebody like Rahab? I suppose if we think the worst, the two spies could have noticed a scarlet cord hanging from Rahab's door and gone to her place for what I'll call obvious reasons. Considering the fallen state of humankind, that's not out of the question even for two of God's people. Lord, have mercy. But since that doesn't jibe well with what we imagine two spies who are doing God's bidding would be involved in, let's think the best about them. The best and most reasonable motive for the spies to seek out a prostitute might be that they knew she would have the inside scoop on what the Canaanite leaders in town thought, specifically about the myriad of Israelites who were camped just across the river and all the rumors they had heard. Yes, the spies knew where they could get the information they needed, but the leaders of the town were watching Rahab's house, expecting that any visitor to Jericho would go straight to the Red Rope District. They watched her house, and they watched her. Of course, Rahab was used to being watched and whispered about behind her back. So I don't think she was surprised when the king sent word to her wanting information about the spies who his lookouts had seen slip into the city and into her house. Father Greg Boyle, author of Tattoos on the Heart, reports a conversation he had with one of the young men, gang members that he worked with in LA. This young man had been pushed to the edges of society by poverty, an unstable family life, violence, lack of a good education. He told Father Boyle, in whom he saw something different, I'm used to being watched, but not really being seen. Do you get the significance and the power of those words? I'm guessing Rahab felt that way, watched, but not truly seen. 
You remember in Genesis when God spoke to Hagar, Sarai's slave, she was a rejected woman with an orphan son. And like Rahab, she was not a Hebrew, she was an outsider. But after Hagar met the Lord of the Hebrews in the wilderness, she called him, as you'll remember, by a unique name, Jehovah El Roy, the God who sees me. Some have translated that, the God who looks after me. That gives us a window into who Yahweh was and is, the God who looks after me. Hagar discovered that God sees, sees mistreated women and men, often forgotten and invisible. He lifts them up and out of their circumstances and puts them often in safe places. It's pretty clear that Rahab was used to being watched. They watched to see who came and went and what information she might have gleaned. But she clearly did not feel seen or looked after. She had over and over been pushed down, not lifted up. But we are beginning to sense a shift. Remember the song, I Will Change Your Name? We're going to sing it later in the service. But the second line says this, and many of you know it. You will no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely, or afraid. Rahab is beginning to be lifted, and her identity is being transformed. In spite of her history with men, she is beginning to act with the courage and confidence of someone who is being seen for who she truly is. So she risks it all and hides the spies on her roof to protect them. As the king's men watched her house, they spoke out of their position of power, telling her to turn over the men who came to stay the night at your house, adding, you didn't even know they were high-level spies. And despite all the emotional, physical, psychological harm she had likely endured, she was also very smart and rather shrewd. And as one author wrote, possibly the most competent character in the whole story. So she confidently and astutely responded to the king's men who had been watching her. Yes, the two men did come to me. And then leaning on her God-given acting ability, she spoke, but I have no idea where they went. Hurry up, you chase them. You can still catch them, hurry up. She sent the king's men on a wild goose chase. And yes, she lied several times to try to help the plan along. So when the king's men had left, Rahab raced up to the roof, and now we begin to realize that the spy's intention may have been more pure than we at first glance gave them credit for. They conversed meaningfully with her and she with them in a way that was dramatically different, dramatically different from the typical interactions she had had with men before. She didn't have much language to describe her dilemma, but once she was up on the roof, she spoke excitedly, I know that the Lord Yahweh has given you this land. We've heard how Yahweh made a dry path for you 
40 years ago through the Red Sea. We know what you did to our two neighboring kingdoms. They're gone. Our hearts are melting with fear. Think about it. Like Hagar, she knew the Lord's name and wasn't afraid to use it. Hagar called God by his most holy, intimate name, Yahweh. She gave the spies the information they needed. The people they were going to attack were, in fact, quaking with fear. And then she adds, Any hope at all is because of you and God, your God, supreme God of the heavens and God of the earth below. We can sense her overwhelming fear being shaped into awe and the awe moving toward worship. Rahab was getting it. She needed a rescuer, and her family needed one too. And the the rescuer was to be the god of the spies. She was on a path toward faith in Yahweh. Theologian Robert Hubbard writes, the words used only by Moses and later by Solomon were used here by Rahab, supreme God of the heavens above and God of the earth below. And he adds, not bad theological company for a Canaanite prostitute. And now for the first time, we hear the word hesed in the text, chapter 2, verse 12. Hesed is the Hebrew word for kindness or goodness, and it's used some 250 times in the Old Testament to refer to Yahweh. To the spies, Rahab said, Now swear to me by Yahweh that you will be hesed to me and my family, since I have helped you. And the spies quickly agreed, You've extended hesed, kindness, to us. We'll pour God's hesed on you. It was to be a covenant of kindness. So far in the story, we've heard no word of condemnation of Rahab's lifestyle, not because God condones prostitution, but because God often uses surprising methods to reach troubled people. In Romans 2.4, Paul writes, The kindness of God leads to repentance. Not condemnation, but but kindness. We have begun to sense the God of Joshua, the God of the spies, rather than condemning, is lifting Rahab into a place of hesed. The male spies listened to her. They didn't shame her. They didn't use her. They truly saw her and her family and promised to look out for her, promised to keep their word, and ultimately that's just what they did. Hope for a miraculous rescue was being birthed in her as she spoke from her heart and then heard the promise. They then explained what she had to do to keep her part of the covenant. Hang the red rope out the window, she had that part, and gather your family together, both rather simple things. In other words, put yourself and your family in a place 
where Yahweh can rescue you. Put yourself in a place where Yahweh can rescue you. And she said, if that's what you say I should do, that's the way it's going to be. Then she let the spies down from her window with a rope, maybe the red one, and sent them off. They left, and she hung the red rope out the window for, I think, the last time. And those who followed the one true God were people of their word, she was discovering. She was becoming more and more sure of it. And that's the end of chapter 2, but not the end of Rahab's story. The Israelites followed God's plan to a T and made it across the Jordan River. But before the final ram's horn blast and the shout of the enemy, and before the walls fell, chapter 6, verse 22 reports Yahweh's beautiful act of Hesed. 22 and 24 in chapter 6, Joshua ordered the two spies to keep their promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out, lift her out, along with all her family. The spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and her sisters and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family, it says, to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And now Rahab prostitute, mistreated, and humiliated in every way imaginable, is lifted out to safety and her whole family with her. Verse 25 says this, Joshua let Rahab the prostitute live. And she is still alive and well in Israel because she hid the men whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Listen again, she is still alive and well with God's people, safe for perhaps the first time in her life. This is a story for today. The spies are called to listen, to believe Rahab the prostitute, a survivor. And yes, Jehovah El Roy sees those who are used and abused and maligned and those who have their stories disregarded. Jehovah Elroy looks after them through God's people who are called to believe them, to pray for them, to provide a transparent and serious process for rescue and healing. This is the God who sees those who need rescue and lifts them out of evil patterns of abuse that have consistently been overlooked and disbelieved by those in power and others. This is the God who brings everything into the light. This is the God who is the light. This is the God who provides a place of safety and freedom and restoration. And... Joshua 6 isn't the end of Rahab's story. We sensed the joy in verse 25 where we found out that she was still alive and safe and well. God's deepest desire is to rescue people who are caught in slimy pits, no matter how they got there, and put them in a safe place. Psalm 40 gives words to them and to all of us 
who have been rescued. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And when God's people keep their word and desperate people are rescued, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Are you male or female in a deep pit of any kind? Or even in a shallow pit of hopelessness or discouragement or anxiety or sadness? Jehovah Elroy wants you to know that he sees you, that he will shine his light on your situation, that he will lift you up and out and put you in a safe place and then look after you and those you love. That promise is really important to me right now. Some members of our family are facing lots of difficult things and I feel completely helpless. The amazing miracle though at the end of the story is discovering the safe place where God put Rahab. She, a woman, a prostitute who was living a life outside God's desires in a city that opposed God's plans, had her name changed by Yahweh's kindness, by his hesed. This marginalized woman is now named rescued, survivor, seen, looked after, gifted, courageous, intelligent, woman of faith. And Rahab is not only held safe in Israel by God's kindness, but she becomes the mother of Boaz, who was the great-great-grandmother of David. And she lands right smack in the middle of the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. Hallelujah. And because of the faith she exhibited in rescuing the spies, she also sees and discovers that her picture is up on the wall in the Great Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Tonight, I invite you to come to Rahab's God and his son, Jesus, here at the table. He is ready to lift you to each of us by his kindness out of any pit we might find ourselves in and pour his hesed over us. I invite you to just close your eyes and be in the stillness for a moment and listen. Listen for any word that God might speak to you. Amen.